Of course, right as I start to record, somebody decides that it's time to whip out the Harley and take it around the block a few times. All right, this is this is what I'm working with. Welcome back to Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity, the remix. <laughs> As per usual, we have a lot going on in today's episode. It seems to be a trend about 15 minutes before I start recording all the crazy news breaks. And then there's a million more things I want to talk about. But in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the third episode of American Horror Story Red Tide Double Feature, whatever you want to call it. And that will include spoilers. Again, I do have timestamps in the description. If there are only certain parts you are interested in, you can just skip right ahead to those. I also have updates on the ScarJo Disney lawsuit and why the Russo brothers are now involved somehow, as well as all of the details for The Matrix 4 Resurrections. I got to see all three episodes of Only Murders in the Building and I was completely blown away, so I'm going to talk about that as well. And I also tuned in for The D'Amelio Show as well as that new Cinderella movie, and I have endless thoughts. Actually, quite brief thoughts. We're going to get into all that plus streaming news, which includes a way for you to watch Fear the Walking Dead season seven a whole week early. But first, we're going to roll the sirens and talk some coffee. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. I did that all without speeding up the audio one bit just to prove that I still got it. Now on with the motherfucking show. I saw the coolest looking drink in Walmart a while ago. It's a pour over Vietnamese coffee from the brand Copper Cow Coffee. Copper Cow Coffee. That's a tricky one. And apparently the women who created this company were on Shark Tank and raised $8.5 million for the company. Holy shit. The CEO is female badass and they have an all female board, even more badass. And they are completely dedicated as a company to being eco-friendly. The brand is also sustainably sourced and a product of California. So that is super fucking cool to me. It looks awesome. The beans are actually sustainably sourced from organic farms in the fertile volcanic soil of the central highlands of Vietnam. This coffee is really good. I don't know if I did it correctly, but you don't get a ton of it, which is fine because it's really strong. At first I was kind of bummed, but after I tasted it, I was like, holy shit, this is strong. This will be just fine. This is plenty. It comes in essentially two packets. One has the uh, kind of coffee filter situation. That's super cute. It kind of folds out like a hammock and then you pour your hot water in it and it just filters through. The packets almost look like hot cocoa packets. And then they have a separate packet for the sweetened condensed milk and it's only California sweetened condensed milk and sugar. That's the only ingredient it has. There are no artificial flavors or additives. It's very simple and it's really easy to make. The directions are super clear. They have picture instructions in every way you could imagine. And the actual, I guess it would be called like a unicarton. Is that what it would be? The product itself, like the box it comes in. It looks dope. I found this in sort of the international aisle at Walmart where all the other Asian snacks are. I was immediately drawn to it too. I'm very happy with this. So the coffee part, like I said, it comes in 
a packet and the filter feature is sort of like a hammock you pour your hot water in you have to go very slow otherwise the hammock just sort of collapse in the coffee below it so it does take a little bit of time it also gives you options on how much water to add if you want the Vietnamese coffee style or if you want like Americano which is super cool and then you can add the sweet and condensed milk to taste it is really thick I don't know what I was expecting like obviously this is sweet and condensed milk condensed milk I'm very familiar with it with baking and whatnot I should have known she was gonna be thick damn boy he thick boy that's a thick ass boy and don't mind me in this episode playing around with sound bites I've just been having way too much fun with them Moving on from coffee to American Horror Story, Red Tide, Episode 3, I completely forgot the name. I am so sorry. We left off with the daughter, Alma, eating a dead animal in the cemetery, right? Kind of a cliffhanger there. And the episode opens with uh, Doris being completely freaked out, washing her child in a panic, freaking out, thinking this kid had Lyme or rabies. Like what? I can't even imagine the thought process. I probably wouldn't even fucking go near my child if I saw them eating a dead animal in a cemetery. No thanks. Hard pass. Great timing from the police chief. She shows up to question the daughter about the murder in town because she was seen covered in blood walking around so obviously that's gonna raise some eyebrows under all the stress of this Doris is hospitalized because she's having false contractions and those are brought on by stress believe it or not could you imagine in this situation we see where Alma's priority lie when she's salivating at blood bags in the hospital and if Harry didn't already know what was going on with his daughter he definitely knew when he caught her eyeballing that blood Harry and ends up lying to his wife who is in the hospital on bed rest due to the stress and says he's going to take Alma to New York. He says this to ease her stress and then asks Alma to stop taking the pills. Being the little precocious angel that she is, she says, sure, only if you do too, dad. Harry, of course, cannot write without it, so he sneaks one of the little black pills, but Alma, again, being quite precocious, catches him and asks for hers as well. Harry can't deny it, so of course he gives it to her. And as discusses their situation and says she can never go out on her own to get blood. He would bring it to her and then sets out to do just that. Now we learned from last episode how Belle and Austin do it to remain inconspicuous. Harry learned from them to kind of find some outliers of society, the people that won't be missed. And sometimes those may not be the safest to be around as Harry learned in a very Ryan Murphy scene as he was going to kill this woman and drink her blood that was selling something I forget what it was for like a dollar a phone for a dollar or something on Craigslist he actually gets tricked and locked in a basement the first thing I noticed when he was locked in this basement was the sign on the wall and it was the rules for master I was like oh this is the most Ryan Murphy shit ever let's go so basically he is being used for a snuff film you gotta mix the weird and wild and horror with sex it's just it's very apropos and funnily enough not to sidetrack too much but I was watching the history of horror it's on Shudder I highly recommend if you like horror movies or if you're a Verizon customer I believe you get AMC plus which is included with Shudder or has Shudder included with it you get that for free I think for a year if I'm not mistaken and I'll also get into why that's a good thing to have in the news portion of this episode but I'm getting ahead of myself but anyway sex is usually 
actually portrayed in horror films uh, quite frequently because it represents a, a deeper rooted fear within humans. And I think that was quite interesting. I won't spoil anything about that in case you want to watch it. Every detail is so fascinating. Eli Roth created it and he talks to some of the most incredible prolific people in not only the horror genre, but also just in film in general, like Rob Zombie, Greg Nicotero, Stephen King, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, Quentin Tarantino. Elijah Wood also had quite a few things to say. I guess he's sort of a horror nut. I did not know that. Tanana Reeve Du, an amazing horror author, and I believe has like a doctorate in film studies or something crazy like that. Lee Winnell, Diablo Cody, Jack Black as well. Just a super cool docuseries. So I highly recommend that if you can find it. Anyways, back on track for American Horror Story. Harry, American Harry Story. Anyways, back to American Horror Story. Harry is locked in a basement, ready to make his debut in a snuff film on the dark web. And he is told, quote, he's gonna get his ass fucked until it turns into a rosebud, unquote. Absolute poetry. Before Harry can get his booty blossomed, he rips his teeth out, you know, because he's got like the uh, cover after he visited that dentist who sharpened his teeth. He's got to wear the fake ones over it. So he's got his vampire blood sucking teeth out and he just gnaws into these people. And then as if nothing happens, he goes home and serves his daughter blood as if it's just good old hearty soup. Also, I wonder in that moment, did he take the tape? Because they were going to make a snuff film. So they were recording. I wonder if he took it with him. Moving on to the next scene, Leslie Grossman arrives as, of course, Ursula, his manager, with the news that Quentin Tarantino wants Harry to write a limited series for Hulu. And kind of without knowing so, she insinuated that Quentin Tarantino was on the little black pill as well. Ursula goes out to eat at the restaurant The Muse, and Austin and Belle are doing some of their classic karaoke, which Ursula is not a fan of. And she's also not a fan of Mickey, who is eye flirting with her from across the bar. So she was a bitch to all three of them. She made it very known she did not enjoy their company. The next day, Mickey catches up with her on the beach, and after hearing she's an agent from Los Angeles, he gives her all of his handwritten scripts. Ursula, being the smart cookie that she is, reads them and was blown away, but she wasn't buying that Mickey wrote them. So she gets together with him to question him about the scripts. She is completely aware just in her short amount of time there that something very strange is happening. Mickey doesn't really hesitate at all to tell her about the pill and she doesn't hesitate to make a deal with him. Steal more black pills for her or his scripts go into the garbage. We also see Harry, Austin, and Belle go to feed and Austin and Belle are very confused seeing Harry fill up a thermos with blood and hold him at gunpoint demanding to know who it's for. Obviously, he admits to them that it's for Alma and they in turn threaten him. When he goes into the house, we hear them say they both need to die, meaning Harry and his daughter. Something also very important to note, Mickey is just randomly fucking killing people in P-Town. We know that's a big no-no because that brings a lot of attention. So that's an aside that I'm sure will come up later. Speaking of Mickey, Ursula and Mickey go to the source named The Chemist so far. We don't have an actual name for her. Once they get to the chemist's house, they offer her a deal. The source wants nothing to do with the deal and dismisses Ursula and Mickey. Afterwards, she goes to Austin and Belle and tells them everything. She threatens Austin and Belle saying, if you don't kill everyone, 
you get no pills. Now, Alma is very hungry. She's a growing little girl. I have to imagine that that's causing her hunger to be completely out of whack. So Harry goes out for more blood for her. He recruits Ursula to babysit Alma as he's away. And Ursula, being the gold star babysitter, decides she's going to take a nap. During that time, the police chief goes to talk to Alma because she has been staking out the house waiting for Harry to leave her alone. That way she can question her without Harry interrupting. The little girl lets her in and after very brief questioning from the police chief, Alma cannot contain her thirst and just rips into her. A twist I don't think anyone was expecting. I thought it was going to be Ursula, sort of the red herring there. Harry returns with some blood to find Ursula and Alma playing gin rummy casually. So obviously Ursula was cool with this. I would have loved to see that scene. And all Ursula says to Harry is that they need to talk. Fade to credits. I loved this episode. I am so excited to see what they do with it, how it links to other seasons how the aliens are going to be involved. I just don't know what they're going to do next. Every episode just blows my mind. I think this is definitely one of my favorite seasons so far. Freak Show will always have a place in my heart because Elsa Mars will always have a place in my heart. But I know that quality-wise, it's not the best season. But double feature Red Tide Man, I hope Death Valley is just as good. Going from American Horror Story to Shang-Chi, again, very briefly, I won't spoil anything, even though there is so much I could say and so many theories I have, especially regarding the rings. But anyway, I saw Shang-Chi on Thursday night and it was absolute perfection. I thought Aquafina was so funny, which is so weird because I normally don't find her funny. I loved her in Raya and the Last Dragon, though. I thought she did a great job. The writers did superb and she delivered the lines in a really great way. The fight scenes, oh my God, the fight scenes. They are some of the best in the history of Marvel. I'm not kidding. They are just absolutely amazing. There was one particular fight that gave me so much anxiety. When you see it, you'll know. I was literally staring at the floor. I was like, I can't watch this right now. I cannot watch this right now because of one of my biggest fears. I'll just say it, heights. That's all I'll say. I cannot wait to learn more about the rings and to see how Sean fits into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a group with other Avengers. You have to see it. Honestly, it's amazing in the theater if you're comfortable going at the moment, especially in IMAX. If you can go in IMAX, definitely do it. But that's with any Marvel film, I feel. If you can see it in a heightened experience, go for it. Moving on, via the rap, in an article written by Tony Maglio, Only Murders in the Building just killed it on Hulu. The Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez starring Who Done It just had the most watched premiere day for any comedy in Hulu's history. That includes Seinfeld and over 400 additional comedies that have streamed to date on Hulu. So that is an amazing accomplishment. Right off the bat, I was completely shocked that this was rated mature. I did not expect that, nor did I know that in advance. And this shit was funny. They let you know that Selena Gomez is no longer Disney. She dropped an F-bomb pretty early, which I love. My overall thoughts on Only Murders in the Building was I'm very happy that they had three episodes. I believe it was a three episode premiere. I don't think I was a week late. I thought Selena did a great job. I love Selena Gomez. I really do. Steve Martin and Martin Short, obviously classic. We knew what we were going to get from them. Comedic geniuses. I knew it would be like haha goo goo, but this was like rumbling funny. Very, very good. It does get corny and cheesy at times, but it's really not that bad. I find it endearing. I find it funny. 
I definitely recommend. I watched the D'Amelio show just to see it. I was thinking to myself, maybe it's genius. Let's just watch and report. Let's, you know, get through an episode if I can. I was very confused with that long ass intro. It felt like it gave away the whole season and completely and honestly turned me off. I was like, oh, I remember why I didn't want to watch this now. So I sort of rolled my eyes and then just continued on. I trudged through it. The first thing I noticed was the heavy duty product placement. Oh my God. It was just like the movie He's All That. I don't know if you guys caught on to that, but holy shit, this is truly the influencer's world now. Uh, I got about 10 minutes in and uh, yeah, I didn't like it. Charlie seems like a nice girl. She's young and she just has fun on TikTok and she got really lucky and she rode the wave as she should have. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, she's wicked annoying, but like guess fucking what? teenagers are annoying. It's a rite of passage. You and I were whiny and annoying too. We just didn't have a bazillion people in our face judging us. So I don't hold that against her. I have a weird thing with parents profiting off children by putting them in the public eye like this. Whether the kid says they can handle it or not, I think a teenager should not deal with the things that this teenager deals with at all. But I think it's cute for like teenagers who like the drama, you know. This could be the hills for this. How dare I? I should never. Charlie could never be Lauren Conrad. Cinderella, 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 Cinderella. I wasn't going to try this. I really wasn't. And I didn't watch much. I'll be quite frank off the bat. It is very 2021. I think it's perfect for, you know, kids and young teenagers. The soundtrack has a mix of original songs and some throwbacks like Seven Nation Army and What a Man. I can't hate on that. I like that incorporation of old school. And yeah, it's corny for us, you know, adults, but for the target audience, it's awesome. And I like that Cinderella wanted to be a dressmaker. That's a cool shift, I guess. The elephant in the room is Camila Cabello, right? And I'm going to let you do your own Googler search for that and make your own decisions. I understand that a lot of people are really offended by some of the horrific shit she has said as a teenager. And you have every right to be. I was highly uncomfortable with those remarks as well. But my issue is with her behavior as an adult now that she clearly knows better. And apparently she said she learned her lesson. I highly disagree with that based on her behavior. I don't think someone who refers to their bandmate who is an African-American woman as Normonkey when her name is Normani is learning your lesson. I think you're a really fucked up, dark, horrendous individual for that behavior. I've heard a lot of other shit that she's done. Obviously, I can't confirm. We're not in the room with her, but I, I've i never liked her. Not a big fan of Fifth Harmony, but I love Normani. Be sure to stream all her music. She's actually a bona fide star. And mind you, at the time of Camila Cabello referring to her bandmate Normani as Normonkey, This is a young girl, right? This is a young, impressionable woman. And she was getting harassed by racists daily. Hardcore harassed. Like people were photoshopping her getting fucking lynched. A young girl. So this is obviously a very sensitive topic for her. Could you imagine millions of people calling you the most degrading, awful names and your bandmate, the person that's supposed to be like a sister to you, feeds into that and ignores your hurt? There's just something really wrong with that. And there are people out there that deadass think that those of us who are offended or think that's fucked up are sensitive. Like, fuck you, bro. You freak out when a cashier at the grocery store isn't ringing you out quick enough. Get the fuck out of here. My final thought is 
because nothing can ever beat out the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, you know, with Brandy and Whitney. And in a close second would be Hilary Duff. And then in third place would be the classic Cinderella. And then in fourth place, I guess, would be Selena Gomez. But that was pretty cheesy as well. I bet you don't even remember a Cinderella story, too. It's not half bad. It's definitely not the worst Cinderella movie, especially when you remember there's a Cinderella Story 3. I've never even watched it. I should probably watch it. It's on Netflix, I think. When I feel like frying my brain cells, I'll be sure to do that. Moving on to streaming news, let's start with Netflix. After various delays to filming, we finally have confirmation that the Netflix original horror thriller Night Teeth is coming to Netflix this 2021 Halloween season. The following synopsis has been provided by Netflix. To earn some extra cash, quirky college student Benny moonlights as a chauffeur for one night. His task, drive two mysterious young women around Los Angeles for a night of party hopping. Taken captive by his client's charm, he soon learns that his passengers have their own plans for him and an insatiable thirst for his blood. Funny that they threw in that word because it stars Debbie Ryan, who is the star of Insatiable. What a fucking train wreck that turned into. Season one definitely got weird, but I didn't mind it. I thought it was different and cool. Season two was just fucking dumb. I was like, I can't watch this. You took it too far. But anyway, as his night spins out of control, Benny is thrust into the middle of a clandestine war that pits rival tribes of vampires against the protectors of the human world, led by his brother who will stop at nothing to send them back into the shadows. With sunrise fast approaching, Benny is forced to choose between fear and temptation if he wants to stay alive and save the city of angels. It stars Debbie Ryan, Alfie Allen, Lucy Fry, Sydney Sweeney, Brian Batt, Megan Fox, Alexander Ludwig, who's Bjorn from Vikings, who is also a fucking country star and also a wrestler, at least in a movie. He's just like across the board, man. Good for you, Alexander Ludwig. This sounds like a very sexy Halloween movie, like most are. I'm actually going to tune in for this. It'll arrive just in time for Halloween on Thursday, October 20th, 2021. Via Collider, Netflix teases a new action thriller series titled My Name with a new poster featuring Han So-hee. I have the poster actually up on the Instagram NCQH podcast. The upcoming Korean drama is scheduled to release on October 15th. The poster sees its vengeful protagonist, Yoon Ji-woo, played by Han So-hee, against a neon-soaked alleyway. Now that the poster has been released, we can expect a trailer to also drop very soon. My Name centers around Yoon, who joins the Dong Cheompa drug gang to avenge their father's sudden death. To gain more information about his mysterious passing, she goes undercover in the police department as a mole. However, things get complicated when her double lives start converging in unexpected ways. The show is directed by Kim Jin Min, who directed the acclaimed 2014 legal drama Pride and Prejudice, starring Parasite breakout Choi Woo Sheik. It looks like Chris Hemsworth is prepping hardcore for Extraction 2. Oh my god, I hated that movie so much. If you... I can't even explain it. It's like an action film, but n- there's no slow parts ever. There's not one slow part at all. I couldn't handle that movie and I can handle action movies. I like them, but Extraction was nonstop. You didn't get a breathing break. My palms were sweating. I was anxious the whole time. I don't know how they're going to up the ante. It was maxed out for the first film. We don't have a lot of info about the Extraction sequel. I know that filming locations have recently shifted due to COVID-19, which halted progress and production. There's been no plot details revealed, but we know that Chris Hemsworth is obviously returning. Sam Hargrave and Joe Rue so are reprising their respective directorial and script writing roles as 
well. And it may go without saying, but there's already been thought poured into stretching the Extraction journey past a sequel. In November 2020, Hemsworth said that he and the rest of the Extraction team were going to try to make another couple more. And the following month, the Russo brothers mentioned that they are interested in developing a cinematic universe to spotlight other characters away from the main film series. That would be insane. Moving on to Hulu news, the unofficial Seven sequel is now streaming. In case you don't know, Seven is a film about two detectives, Somerset, Morgan Freeman, a cynical, weary old timer ready to throw in the towel, and Mills, played by Brad Pitt, a fresh-faced young guy ready to take on the world. They get caught up in a case where a serial killer is bumping off his victims in a brutal way, which is meant to resemble like the Seven Deadly Sins. Eventually, the cops catch the killer, or more accurately, the killer turns himself in, but it's all a part of his plan. I'm not going to give away the rest of his plan, but it's a very good movie, classic, obviously Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, adding to that legendary status. It's not a pleasant movie, that's definitely not the word for it, but it was definitely groundbreaking in the serial killer thriller category. That sort of rhymed. This new film, uh, which was originally titled Solace, was changed to 8. The G in 8 is an 8 very similar style to seven apparently it's like supernatural they made somerset psychic for some reason i haven't watched it this is just based off the description i probably won't stream this but anthony hopkins and colin farrell are in it so i mean not a bad cast if you're interested in seeing the unofficial sequel of seven on to hbo max some quick news about dune it will be releasing in theaters as well as on hbo max on october 22nd it's coming up i'm so excited but please Please keep in mind, in order to watch it on release day, you will need the ad-free streaming plan. The big news for HBO is The Matrix 4 Resurrections. We got the trailer early Thursday morning and the internet blew up. Via the Vulture, after 18 years, The Matrix is back, though not the same way as we left it. There was a ton of shifting in the release dates that casted some doubt over whether the film was actually going to come out this year, but we did get confirmation after the full-length trailer premiered. We get the nostalgia, we see once familiar characters that are now seemingly strangers to themselves and to each other, and of course we get the mind games. These mind games wouldn't pack nearly the same punch without glorious Wachowski stylized action, which now looks very John Wick-esque. Lena Wachowski returns to the director's chair, but this time without her sister Lily. This marks the first time in the filmmaker's career that they are going their separate ways creatively. The Matrix films have always been the singular works of the two minds, so it'll be very interesting to see what shape this film takes without the other sister. Lily didn't return because she's currently the showrunner, executive producer, and writer of the Showtime series Work in Progress. She recently told Entertainment Weekly that she spent a lot of time reconnecting with herself after her transition and the death of her parents, so she's got a lot going on there. Quote, there was something about the idea of going backward and being a part of something that I had done before that was expressingly unappealing, she said. Of course, The Matrix wouldn't be The Matrix without the vampire himself, Keanu Reeves. He will be returning as Neo. Carrie Ann Moss also returns as Trinity and Jada Pinkett Smith is back as Niobe, even though she was not in the trailer. While there is speculation that other familiar faces might appear, they've yet to be announced. The most obvious omissions from the lineup so far are Hugo Weaving's Agent Smith and Lawrence Fishburne's Morpheus. In Weaving's case, scheduling conflicts prevented him from appearing, which raises a few questions about Neo's role in the film without his opposite. 
As for Fishburne, the actor surprisingly was never approached for the new movie. Fishburne told Collider this year, I am not in the next Matrix movie. And you'd have to ask Lana Wachowski why, because I don't have an answer for that. As hard as it is to imagine a Matrix film without Fishburne, the answer may lie in the plot of Resurrections. We are also seeing plenty of new faces. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II from Watchmen and Candyman will be in it. Jessica Henwick from Iron Fist. Neil Patrick Harris appears as Thomas Anderson's psychologist. And Jonathan Groff, Toby Onwumir, Max Remelt, Priyanka Chopra, and Christina Ricci round out the rest of the cast. The trailer kept most of the actual plot hidden. What we do know is that Neo, once again going by Thomas Anderson, and Trinity appear to be in the Matrix program, but they don't remember each other or any of their past lives. Anderson's being prescribed a steady supply of blue pills, presumably by his psychiatrist, who does rock blue glasses. Neo stops taking the pills and begins to notice things are not what they seem. The Alice in Wonderland metaphor makes an aggressive comeback here, not only through the trailer's Jefferson Anderson song choice, great song by the way, but also in the actual Lewis Carroll book given to Anderson by a woman in glasses, that woman being Priyanka Chopra's character, who may be the latest update of the Oracle. There's obviously plenty of action in the trailer. It wouldn't be the Matrix without it. There aren't any black suited agents running around. Instead, we see a SWAT team-esque militia facing off against Anderson, Trinity, and several of the film's new characters. There are also new powers showcased in the film as the characters manage to bend the rules of the Matrix. One thing heavily speculated is that this film will be taking place in the past due to Fishburne not returning. When the idea started stirring for this film in 2017, without the Wachowski's involvement, Michael B. Jordan was reportedly being looked at to play a younger version of Morpheus or his descendant. It's unclear if any of those concepts remained and are carryover to Lana's film. The trailer also suggests that The Matrix Resurrections may be the start of a new trilogy. We can't know for sure just yet, but it does seem that Neo and Trinity's reawakening will make up a substantial part of the film. All I know is this feels like a much bigger story. You can watch The Matrix Resurrections when it releases in cinemas December 22nd, and it will also be available to watch on HBO Max in the U.S. on the same day. HBO Max has ordered a pilot for a potential dead boy detective series, Variety has learned exclusively from sources. Based on the DC comic characters created by Neil Gaiman, the one-hour series would follow the dead boy detectives Charles Rowland and Edwin Payne, who decided not to enter the afterlife in order to stay on Earth and investigate crimes involving the supernatural. Reps for HBO Max and WBTV declined to comment on this, so we don't know too much at the moment, just sort of rumbling. Things. Switching over to a more serious and sad topic, Michael K. Williams, who played Omar from The Wire, passed away at the age of 54. It's no secret that Michael K. Williams was an incredible actor and really defined an era on The Wire being one of the most prolific anti-heroes in TV history. On The Wire, he was also gay and openly so in a homophobic cold world of murder and drugs, which was a groundbreaking portrayal of black masculinity on on television. On and off screen, he engaged in discussions about systematic racism amid the Black Lives Matter movement. He plied the legacy of America's history of racism as he studied for his roles, including as the father of Antron McRae, one of the teenagers wrongfully convicted of raping a woman in Central Park for Ava DuVernay's miniseries, When They See Us. Although his place in cinema can never be replaced, his legacy will live on.
on to Paramount Plus. Guilty Party is coming soon to Paramount Plus, and the streamer has now released the first images for the half hour genre bending series, which I have posted on the Instagram as well if you'd like to take a look at those. The show stars Kate Beckinsale as a journalist trying to save her own career by helping a woman who claims to have been wrongly convicted for the murder of her husband. Jules Latimer, Geoff Stoltz, Lori Davidson, Andre Highland, Tia Sirkar, and Alana Ubach also star. The series will debut in October. The creator of the series, Rebecca Edelman, who also created Dead to Me, said that there will be a 10-episode first season and it will premiere with two episodes on Thursday, October 14th, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Just that little bit from Paramount+, Plus, and now from Disney+, Plus, an update on the ScarJo lawsuit with Disney. The Russo brothers maybe won't be returning to work with them. According to Collider, directors Joe and Anthony Russo have hit an impasse. That's a quote, hit an impasse with Disney in negotiating a return to the world of Marvel movies. The Russos, who gave the studio one of the biggest movie hits in history with Avengers Endgame, were eyeing a return to superhero cinema, according to the Wall Street Journal. But the discussions were disrupted by Scarlett Johansson's recent lawsuit against Disney. That's a huge deal. Disney loves their Russo brothers. We know what side they're on. So that is very interesting. A new Dr. Fauci documentary titled Fauci will be coming to Disney Plus this October. Obviously, Fauci is a world-renowned infectious disease specialist. And Dr. Fauci has valiantly led the U.S. fight against every epidemic in our country that we have faced over the past 50 years, from AIDS to SARS to Ebola and now COVID-19. He is the longest serving public health leader in Washington, D.C. and has worked under seven presidents and is revered on both sides of the aisle, which is something that not many people can say. He has testified before Congress with his trademark Brooklyn accent more than any person in American history. Through intimate interviews, Dr. Fauci will take us on a journey through his remarkable career with a particular focus on HIV AIDS. The film will also feature the voices of many of those who have influenced him and whom he has worked alongside and also worked for, including President George W. Bush, Bill Gates, former HHS Secretary Sylvia Burwell, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, NIH Director Dr. Francis Collins, key AIDS activists and organizers, and many others, including his family, friends, and former patients. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I feel like it'll be very educational. Way to go, Disney. Jumping over to AMC Plus, remember when I said that you could potentially watch Fear the Walk Dead season seven a whole week early. Yeah, those episodes will be premiering in October early for AMC Plus members. Fear the Walking Dead, which is a spinoff of the massively popular The Walking Dead, premiered on AMC in 2015. Per comic book, new episodes of Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 will be available to watch on the premium streaming bundle AMC Plus a full week before they air on AMC, starting with the season premiere. AMC subscribers will be able to watch the Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 premiere on October 10th, while everyone else will have to wait until the television broadcast on October 17th. In going this route, Fear the Walking Dead is following the footsteps of The Walking Dead and The Walking Dead World Beyond, both of which are also making their episodes available to stream a week early. The explosive finale of Fear the Walking Dead season six left viewers stunned and unsure about the fates of many of their favorite characters. Even those who survived the blast will be left facing an entirely new kind of post-apocalyptic world. As showrunners, Ian 
Ian Goldberg and Andrew Chambliss have recently teased that Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 will be a reinvention of the series. Very interesting. For those fans who don't want to wait any longer than necessary to see what happens next, be sure to get AMC+. And again, like I said earlier, if you are a Verizon wireless customer and you live in the U.S., definitely check out how you can get that free trial. Now on to Apple TV Plus news. Jon Stewart's show on Apple TV Plus has a premiere date and a teaser trailer that I also posted on the podcast Instagram. Jon Stewart is returning to hosting a TV show for the first time since returning from The Daily Show in 2015. Stewart will both host and executive produce the new Apple TV Plus series. Each hour-long episode of The Problem with Jon Stewart will explore a single issue. The format is similar to Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, the popular HBO program hosted by Stewart's old Daily Show colleague. The Problem with Jon Stewart will premiere on Thursday, September 30th on Apple TV Plus. Dickinson, third and final season will be premiering on November 5th on Apple TV+. The first teaser trailer for Dickinson Season 3 has also been shared. Once again, it is on the podcast Instagram, NCQH Podcast. Dickinson is Apple TV Plus's Peabody Award-winning original series starring Haley Steinfeld as the famed poet Emily Dickinson, one of my all-time favorite poets. It gives a very unique portrayal of her life and work from the creator Elena Smith. All I need to say is Wiz Khalifa portrays death, which is just absolutely magical. They explore very cheeky topics and the soundtrack is great. It's a great show. My dad actually turned me on to this show. He was obsessively nagging me about it because he knows I love to write and he knows my love for poetry and for Emily Dickinson. So I finally got to watch it with him and I have been hooked ever since. The first three episodes of Dickinson's third season will be available on the November 5th premiere date with a new episode then being released every Friday after until the final episode arrives as a Christmas Eve present on December 24th. Even with the end of Dickinson, it will not be the end of Apple TV Plus's relationship with Smith, who currently has a multi-year overall deal with the streamer and is currently developing TV projects. I also have some like random hodgepodge news that I guess would be like box office maybe. I just thought they were so interesting and I had to add them. Did you know that John Cena and Jackie Chan made a movie together and we will probably never ever see it? The movie is titled Snafu and let me just rewind a little bit. The project started to get rolling in June 2018. Deadline reported that Cena would be starring in the film with Chan, which would soon be shot in China. Between then and now, a lot has changed including Cena's caliber as an actor. The casting occurred months before Bumblebee came out, let alone more high-profile work that he's done like Suicide Squad and Fast and Furious 9. Meanwhile, the love affair between Hollywood studios and China that had been ongoing throughout the 2010s was only just starting to see a hint of a problem stemming from the tumultuous U.S.-China trade relations. There were some slight tinges of problems ahead, and the two film industries got along just fine and made Snafu seemed like it could still happen. Filming proceeded, nobody knew that there was any problems, and Cena revealed his love for living in China during filming in September 2018. By the end of the year, cameras had finished rolling on Snafu. This is when the project went silent. Nobody talked about it, no one said anything. The only time it was talked about was when Cena referenced it while promoting Doolittle in January of 2020, but only to talk about his love for Jackie Chan and how wonderful he was with crew members. That was nice and all, 
but it said nothing about when we'd see the movie. The already uncertain release trajectory of the film was put into even more chaos when the COVID-19 pandemic hit and it shut down theaters in China, which was Snafu's primary market. Once the theaters reopened in China in July 2021, very recently, there was still no word about Snafu. There have been reports uh, in the last few years and particular, particularly, you know me and that word, mainstream Chinese cinema has largely been more interested in local productions starring Chinese movie stars with like the occasional Avengers Endgame can still obviously do fucking damage there, but they were more looking for local films. And thus Snafu was dubbed as a marketing risk for Chinese distributors in 2021. There also was a bit of an issue with John Cena referring to Taiwan as a country, which is heavily discouraged in Chinese media. And that caused a lot of backlash from China. Obviously it upset a lot of the Chinese people and it's very unlikely that they'd go out to see an action film with John Cena, even if he was paired up with Jackie Chan. There's also the unknown appeal that there would be in North America for a title like Snafu. Obviously Americans aren't too concerned with his comments about Taiwan. He's done just fine with Fast 9 and Vacation Friends. The bigger problem is that Chinese features rarely get major pushes in the US, so that wouldn't really help the movie either. It seems like it wouldn't do as well as they would want it to do. The Chinese film industry provides little to no explanations for when titles suddenly get shelved. Thus, it's unlikely there will be much clarity on the future of Snafu, especially since its box office prospects in any major territory seem low at best. And obviously John Cena and Jackie Chan don't want this either. I think that this will probably be a direct to video or maybe direct to streaming at best if it ever even sees the light of day. I'm sure someone will pick it up. Another cool story I stumbled upon was about James McAvoy. Him and Claire Foy are set to star in the film My Son, an English language remake of the 2017 French thriller Mon Garçon. I don't know. When I speak French, I just try to imitate Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, so that explains a lot. The film will see McAvoy as a father who seeks out the help of his ex-wife, played by Claire Foy, when his son goes missing. According to The Hollywood Reporter, though, this is where it gets really interesting. McAvoy will not be given a script or any dialogue ahead of filming, as was the case in the French original. How fucking cool is that? The Scottish actor will have the basic understanding of his character's story, but he will be improvising on set as the scene unfolds. If anyone can do this, it's James McAvoy. This is insane. The release date for My Son has yet to be announced, but I am all over it when it does. Thank you so much again for tuning in. I appreciate it. I want to spotlight the nonprofit Tuesday's Children. Tuesday's Children was formed in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks of Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Their commitment to those affected that day is at the core of who they are and who they serve. As a result of that day's events, many were called to military service and continue still today. Their goal at Tuesday's Children is to ensure that families who have suffered losses due to the events of 9 post 9-11 military service or other acts of mass violence and terrorism always have a comforting place to turn for support and community. They offer ways you can help by becoming a mentor, volunteering your time, advocating for them, and also working with them. And of course, there is the option to donate whatever amount you are comfortable with if you do so choose. I know it seems like a long time ago, but many are still affected by those events. If you would like to help or you need assistance and resources, please visit 
visit TuesdaysChildren.org. Stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. 